Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to Bears Over Beers. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm joined by EJ Snyder, the site's lead draft analyst. EJ, how you feeling? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, starting to get into the Christmas spirit. Got the lights up on the house this weekend. Christmas beers are pouring into the stores, and uh, Bears won another game. So, you know, all in all, when you add it up, it's I'm not going to say it's the most wonderful time of the year, but we're getting there. It's warming up. Well, they gave you an early gift to unwrap on Thursday Night Football, which is very nice. And I got to watch that game with a friend who, unfortunately, cheers for Dallas. He's still a nice guy, but he made a bad choice a long time ago to uh, pick for, pick the wrong team. And so it was extra fun when you watch it with a friend who cheers for the opposite team. But uh, we'll get into that game here quite a bit. I think we're going to spend a little time on it because it was probably the most fun game of the entire year. But we've got to get some beverages to get us through this. So what are you drinking tonight? Uh, I am back to Oregon for another brewery, Deschutes Brewing. Um, sure. Yeah, many folks are familiar, and their festive winter ale is called Jubal Ale. Uh, it is 6.7 by volume. It says, cozy up to the fireside with this festive winter ale full of spice notes, robust malt character of toffee and dusted cocoa, and original since 1988. So Jubal's been a fixture here in the Pacific Northwest for quite a while. It's always nice when you see it. I typically don't like beers that advertise that they have spices in them, but the spice is pretty muted, and that malty character is really right up on top, and I enjoy that. So Jubal Ale's a, a pretty good um, go and get every year. Uh, you don't want to drink too many of them, though, because the sugar content is fairly high, although the alcohol content not necessarily so. And a couple of these will leave you feeling pretty gummy in the morning. So one or two is good more than that, and you're kind of in for it. What do you have? So I'm bringing on uh, New England Brewing Company beer, so a little bit out of left field. Uh, it is called Imperial Stout Trooper. Okay. Uh, it's got a you know stormtrooper theme to it. It's like basically got a stormtrooper mask with a sort of a one of those Groucho marks like glasses and eyebrows and mustaches things. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I do. <laughs> that's the that's the cover art. And so I thought Bears just beat the Cowboys, who for a lot of people are the evil empire. Uh, the Patriots got beat, which for a lot of people is the evil empire and the bears have the Packers next, which for us is the evil empire. So, uh, been saving this one for a while and excited to crack it open and see what it tastes like. That's a, that's a pretty solid nexus of, or axis of evil. If you want for a lot of folks yeah. in the NFL, 
That's pretty much most of the villains, right? Yeah, I think the the big ones, or at least the popular ones, right now. Of course, there's every team's got their own rival that might not be listed, but uh, that that covers a lot of them for NFL fans. So, uh, really hate San Francisco growing up. Oh yeah, you were you were anti Forty ers growing up. I was. I don't really know why, but I mean, I do. They're really good. And <laughs> <laughs> that noise, when your team's not good and another team is, that kind of is, you know, a lot of ire. I just, I guess as a Bears fan, I've always hated franchises that have had good quarterbacks. Oh, well, that would do it. Like, I know, but it always seems like the media just heaps love on those teams and it yeah. just drives me nuts, right? I mean, really, 49ers with the Montana to Young is very much far of to rogers right and it's just uh, it's just makes my skin crawl that's how i feel about them there are those franchises out there that that run from one position to another um sometimes quarterback quarterback's probably the most infuriating um especially when there's a long stretch and it's uh quote-unquote against your team uh when they run from one you know, maybe Hall of Fame passer to another. Young to Montana is a great example. Favre to Young's another one. But there are other teams as well that you get a handoff from one great player at a position to another, and they just kind of continue that dominance. And it's um, it's always amazing to me because teams sort of have those positions uh, historically that they're really, really solid at. And then, of course, the flip side, those positions that they always seem to struggle at and have to go throw money at free agency and, and don't always succeed. So... But yeah, when you get that quarterback to quarterback dominance and it lasts, you know, uh, close to 20 or 25 years, it's, it's, it's ugly as an opposing fan. Yeah. Makes you want to puke. Um, all right, well, let's get into this win. So the bears win 31 to 24 and man, it was beautiful. Uh, did not feel like a one score game for the vast majority of this, but let's just run through this real quick. Cowboys come out. Score on the first drive, which what was the stat? The Bears hadn't allowed a first drive touchdown in like a, in a ridiculous number of games, and now they've done it twice in a row, so that's fun. Uh, they just look like, oh, shoot, the Cowboys are just going to jam it down the Bears' throat all night. Uh, everything looked pretty crisp from Dallas's first drive. It took off a lot of time. Dallas goes up 7 nothing, And then the second quarter, uh, as you like to say, the, the, the switch was flipped. Trubisky uh, had a lot of nice throws and actually he had that drive that looked pretty good ended in an interception and I don't know if he was overthrowing one guy or under throwing another it was one of those I don't know avant-garde passes and an amazing amazing toe tap catch by the corner uh, to end that drive but Trubisky bounced back uh, was able to complete a drive to Allen Robinson on a just a threading just a dart uh, to Allen Robinson for uh, first touchdown of the night. Field goal by Pinero. And then, this is what I like. They drove down, and they were able to score right before half another Allen Robinson touchdown. We go into halftime. Bears are up 17-7. to The Bears get the ball to start the second half, and they go down and they score a touchdown. How many times have we seen, like, the Patriots do that, for example? Like, this is what really good teams do. And so it was so exciting to see that. That drive ended with a Mitchell Trubisky to Anthony Miller touchdown. Nice little flare pass off to the right. Uh, Great blocking downfield. Cordero Patterson had a block. And uh, Miller did the rest and was able to take it in for a 14-yard touchdown. Uh, Fourth quarter... 
Bears defense seemed like they just couldn't get off the field a couple times, a couple fourth downs that they allowed, converted. Uh, Cowboys scored, made it a little closer. And then I don't know if I like the coming out of halftime and scoring twice or if I like this coming back and having another scoring drive right away. So to go back up 17 and Trubisky with that gorgeous 23-yard run, like just amazing little keeper on on a read option. And he kind of juked a safety and ran it in for a 23-yard touchdown. Just, I mean, a thing of beauty. Uh, Cowboys made it close at the end by scoring kind of some garbage points, but it really was over at that point. Bears defense was just trying to run out the clock. So uh, an impressive win, and I think the the best win of the year. Uh, what say you? I would agree. Quality win against an opponent that's solidly middle of the pack uh, was expected to be much better at the beginning of the year. Has a large assemblage of talent. Jerry Jones never short on attempt assembling talent on either side of the ball. Um, team that came in uh, listing a little bit. We talked about that in the preview show that they weren't in the best of straights, um, had experienced some adversity and were kind of coming in on a low note, and that was perfect for the Bears. Bears are on more of an ascending note, and it looked like that story played out throughout the game. It's Outside of that first drive, and that first drive did look very crisp from Dallas. They leaned on Zeke. We expected that. The offensive line of Dallas blew the defensive line of the Bears off a little bit, opened some big holes. It looked like easy running room. They went to their tight end, uh, Blake Jarwin, a couple of times. That looked fairly easy in terms of pitch and catch. They marched right down, and and I think most Bears fans at that point probably went, oh, it's going to be a long day. I mean, we talked about it on the preview show. you got to stop Zeke to get to all the other options, which we thought were going to be Amari Cooper, not necessarily the tight ends. But they weren't able to do that on the first drive, and, and they looked pretty mechanical, like a well-oiled machine went down and scored. And after that, um, a lot of credit to Chuck Pagano and his defense. They just didn't do anything. They looked really toothless for the long stretch from the very first drive of the game well into the fourth quarter when they started churning up yards and, and scoring some points in garbage time. So the Bears defense pivoted, locked them down, and like you said, the offense showed up, and that made it a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, and let's get into uh, – we've got, normally I try to keep it to three bullet points uh, for the review, and I have six, so uh, buckle in, but – Let's the first. We have to we have to start with number ten. Mitchell Trubisky had the best game of the year, in my opinion. Uh, statistically, I think that's proven itself as well. Twenty three of thirty one, two hundred forty four yards, three touchdowns. That one interception, which was just a weird throw. One hundred and fifteen quarterback rating, and and Andy added sixty three yards on the ground and another touchdown. Like he looked like he was in the zone. And he hit a lot of really tough passes, like threaded some passes, even to the point where you're like, I'm not sure that was a good decision on on one. I think it was to Miller. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't know about that throw, but he makes it. And, and uh, you know, those touchdowns to uh, Allen Robinson were, were beautiful. They're beautiful throws and, and, and tight windows. And he could have hit the, that first one to whims in the back of the end zone was a good throw. The second one was a fine throw is a much better play uh, to break it up. But he had two, they ran the same play or at least the same route to whims in the back of the end zone twice. And I, one of those could have come down and that would have been a good throw too. And so he, he was, he was dealing 
And I just, what are we doing with this guy? Like, like, where did this come from? And what are we going to do with Mitchell Trubisky? Uh, that second part of the question is a killer, so I'm going to skip it for now um, and talk about the first part. Yeah, it was easily his best game of the year. He looked like the straw that was stirring the offense's drink. He was getting the ball out there, but above that, yeah, he was making difficult plays. Uh, he was struggling to make easy, easy, easy plays in the beginning of the year. He, he wasn't even able to make the most basic decisions or throws. He looked completely lost, flummoxed, um, harried. Uh, his mechanics broke down. He wasn't recognizing things when they were right. He just looked completely out of sync like everything was not working at the same time and that's really rare to see of a you know what you would call a starting caliber quarterback in the nfl and i know people are going to argue about that um because he certainly didn't look it at the beginning of the year he didn't earn that sort of ranking and all of a sudden about three weeks ago things started to click now they didn't click completely in that game three weeks ago you started to see flashes and and bits of comfort and decent throws and he started to be a little bit more productive then two weeks ago a very solid game again against a defense that's not particularly good but he took what they gave him looked very much more comfortable throughout like everything body language mechanics poise decisions they all came together at the same time, just the way they all left him together at the beginning of the year. And that's remarkably odd. And then he continued that against Dallas. Not only did he look comfortable with decisions, choices, uh, making things happen very quickly, getting the ball out, being decisive, but then he had a couple of those, what we're going to call arm talent throws, where he decided and ripped it in there. He's got a very good arm and everybody questions it because of the first half of the year he had. And like you said, I don't know if that's a good idea, but the ball threads its way in there. Um, and when guys like Mahomes or Watson make those throws, everybody's like, that's amazing. Very few guys can make that throw. And it's true. Very few guys can, but he tossed a few of those into the mix. And then the running. He started running again about three weeks ago. He did it maybe five times, kept a few drives going. Week after that, ran you know maybe 10 times and kept even more drives going and gained even more chunk yards and looked more comfortable doing it. And then in this game against the Cowboys, adds that beautiful twisting read option, uh, doesn't settle for 10 yards and just kind of go down, pivots to the inside, sees the open field and says, nope, you're not going to catch me. I'm going to get the touchdown there. And just looked, to me, he looked like a high school quarterback dominating his rival, right? He looked like that guy that just had all the answers and knew that he wasn't going to get stopped. And yeah, he had an interception that wasn't necessarily a great throw and people are left wondering. But if you add up everything else he did, he had an amazing game. And it was clearly the difference for the Bears. It wasn't him hanging on and leveraging playmakers he made that happen and like you said even when there was a little bit of a threat of a comeback just went right down and scored again and was like nope you're not going to make this a reasonably close game I've got this and we just haven't seen that for Mitchell Trubisky as to the question of where does that leave us with him uh, you and I were talking a little bit about that before we started the show and that that might be a whole podcast unto itself because this sort of tale of two cities of Mitchell Trubisky the the bad Mitch for the majority of this season so far and then a very 
consistently, I'm not going to say great because it's not great. It's middle of the pack, but middle of the pack good Mitch for the last three games leaves us in a very interesting position with Mitch Trubisky moving forward. I think you're right that it is a full show in the offseason, probably once we have the full body of work to to work off of and coming off of strong performances, it's, you know, it's like whiplash back the other way where you want to be like, well, you know, he's turned the corner and we're good to go. And, and, you know, you don't want to do that either. We got to kind of take this all in and, and, uh, if nothing else, you have to be happy for the guy. He's, he's put in the work. He's seems like a good dude and I'm very happy for him. Obviously I'm happy as a bears fan to get the win, but you know, you just, yeah, a lot of people throwing dirt on him for most of the year. And, uh, you know, we kind of had that moment. I, I yeah, had the no, moment that it kind of broke me. We were absolutely uh, ready. We said, look, if he continues to play like this, that's it. You cannot trot him out there next year. It was definitive. And it was the right call at the time. It's not, I, I'm not going to go back and say, oh, geez, I wish I hadn't said that. I At the time, there was no other evidence that he was going to turn the corner. He had been throwing up stinkers consistently outside of the Washington game. And again, we talked about Washington and what level of opponent that is. There just wasn't any evidence that he was going to be able to perform at even a low average level. And what we've seen over the last two and a half weeks is really opposite of that. He's performing. Again, I'm not sold that Mitchell's the guy. I'm not back to, oh, he's here and he's the franchise. Far from it because of what happened at the beginning of this year. But I will absolutely give credit where credit's due and say he's strung together two and a half very solid performances that were worthy of wins with the defense he has. And you got to give the guy a chance. Now, does that mean he's the uncontested starter going into 2020? I don't think you can afford that as the Bears. Yeah, and to be fair, uh, I think a lot of people early on and even you know probably somewhat recently were calling for Chase Daniel to take over. We're calling for Tyler Bray to get us. Okay, we were and not we were in that camp. <laughs> very clear about where we stood about that. Like we were very clear that you went into this year with Mitchell Trubisky as your unquestioned guy. He's still your best option. You still trot him out there, even though he's not playing well. I mean, I, I don't think we ever varied. From, certainly, I did not vary from no, that. No, that was opinion. not our um, stance. I saw a lot right. of that this week on Twitter. Oh, raise your hand if you want Where's to chase. Your Daniel, right. raise your hand if you want to chase Daniel to start. And we were not in that camp. We were very firmly not yeah. in that camp. So uh, we'll see. We'll, we, I think we need to table that. We need to enjoy what we saw. Hopefully he continues this. And I'd love to see a, a strong flourish of another three games at the end. And then we have uh, you know, good momentum or whatever you want to call it, or at least good tape to, to process going forward. I do think at a minimum you have to bring in a competent veteran and, and, or, but probably, and a developmental rookie and just reset the room. Um, and I think that's going to happen, but that's something that we have to talk about in the off season. I've got five more points. The next one, Dave Montgomery running hard. And I, I'm, I can't get this out of my mind, and this might be a weird run to highlight, but I want to highlight the fumble. Okay. And I want, and I'm highlighting it because I loved the run. 
he kept churning his legs. He was not giving up. Now, we can say, hey, at some point you got to know it's not worth the extra foot that you're trying to get here. You're not grinding out a first down. This isn't like do or die. It's more important to take care of the ball and just get a knee down and, 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 and declare yourself down. Um, we can talk about that. But that fumble was because he was fighting so hard for every inch. And that led our colleague, Bill Zimmerman, to say that it reminded him of Peyton. And he skipped over the entire lineage of Bears running backs between Peyton and David Montgomery and said, Montgomery has fight like Peyton. I haven't seen it since Peyton. And it got a lot of people upset, you know, Thomas Jones, Raymond Harris, or, you know, just people throwing, yeah. what about Neil Anderson? What about, what about, what about? But I ask you, someone who came to the Bears because of Walter Payton, mm -hmm. Payton certainly had his share of fumbles, um, carried the ball like a, like a loaf of bread from time to time. Uh, what did you think of David Montgomery, and, and did that fumble say something to you about who he is as a player? Not so much the fumble, but I think the runs we've seen, again, over this period, and really with Montgomery, it's a little bit longer period than it is with Trubisky. I'd say about the last five games, he really was the first one that was showing that kind of effort on offense consistently. Now, the receivers, like guys like Allen Robinson, were catching the ball, but so few balls were actually making it out to those guys on time or in a in a place to make a play that it was just fewer and farther between Montgomery was getting consistent carries as the number one back. And he was fighting that hard, even when the offensive line was in disarray before the white hair switch. Um, you know, he was, he looks like that, you know, they used to say the, the wildebeest getting attacked by, you know, five lions at once and still just sort of raging across the river. He ran like that you know, he's been running like that all season on little screen passes that weren't well thrown um, up the middle where there weren't holes, uh, all that stuff. So he's been showing consistent effort. And now because there's a threat of the pass, he's starting to get a little bit more space, but he's showing the same kind of effort and he's the same kind of player. Am I going to put him on Peyton's level like Bill did? I'm not yet. Uh, I would solidly put him in with Neil Anderson and Thomas Jones, who I think are probably the, you know, Matt Forte was a different kind of runner, uh, very, very skilled runner, um, very, very skilled pass catcher, tremendous bear running back in his own right in a different way. But in terms of toughness and grind it out, like Thomas Jones and Neil Anderson were guys that really hammered on defenses in an era when you could do a lot more things to running backs as a defender and not get a flag. So I think he's his level of toughness points to those guys. Uh, Peyton was on a really a different level in terms of his never say die attitude. And if Montgomery is even in the same conversation, it's a huge compliment. So he's doing the right things. He's starting to get a little bit more space and we're starting to see some, some better results out of that. Um, I'm going to flip it and talk about a guy we talked about last week, who is a former bear, um, Kirith White. And mm -hmm. Kirith White is performing very well in Pittsburgh and good for him. Um, seems like a very solid dude. And everybody is like, how could the Bears have let Kareth White out of the stable? Uh, I went back and watched Kareth White's run. Somebody clipped them together this week out of Pittsburgh, and he picked up another oh, 50, 60 yards on like 
five or six carries. Uh, he's running very well, but if you look at the space that the Pittsburgh offensive line is creating for him, if you look sure. at the size of the holes that he's running through, there's no way he would have had that success on the 2019 Bears. Like, he would have been slamming into the line just like Montgomery and going down a little bit sooner because he's not quite as rugged as Montgomery. As it is, he's seeing big holes, and he's obviously fast enough. Um, and he's making some good moves, too. His cuts look great. But everybody's like, how could the Bears let that out of the building? And the bottom line is, well, their offensive line doesn't look like that. And good for him that he's found a great situation and he's he's making the most of it. But that's where comparisons between players get very, very rough. Because people are going to be like, Kareth White's better than David Montgomery. And I'm like, eh, nah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think so. Well, Not as a complete Steelers. back. Steelers offensive line is the best in football. It's, I don't think that's it's very very good and and seriously the holes he ran through this week each run it was just his his positive gain runs or his chunk runs and they're you know five or six sure. of them he didn't have that many carries he's he's really efficient but every one of those runs he was running through a hole that was two yards wide and that you know. Not many running backs in the NFL won't have success with that. So good for him. I'm glad he's in a good situation. But be very careful about saying things like Kareth White's as good or as productive. Well, I mean, you could say he's as productive because that's a that's a black and white measure. But um, right. different situation. And Montgomery is, I think, a good fit for what the Bears want to do. He has great talent. He obviously has great drive and heart. Uh, and I think he'll continue to be a successful player for the Bears. So it's good to see a little bit of space developing now that the pass is a real threat yeah i just uh wanted to make a my observation about matt forte was i always felt like his style was best described as smooth i agree and and i don't know that that's a good descriptor of those other running backs we talked about uh just they're just forte was just a different dude yep and and i really loved his game i loved watching how well he caught the ball out of the backfield and how how he was able to run but this this montgomery guy and, I'm, and i know highlighting a fumble is kind of silly but it's like hey pump me up and when a guy's trying to fight for every yard it really pumps up your offensive line you want to keep going you're going to keep going to the whistle there's something about that and so I, I i'm excited for what montgomery can do in the future i think he's he's uh he's shown everything that we've wanted to see to except for stacking big statistics, right? So let me move on. Um, without looking, who led the team on Thursday night in receiving yards? Uh, J.P. Holtz. J.P. Holtz. Where the heck did that come from? So my number three comment is tight ends making plays, man. Uh, we have J.P. Holtz. We have Jesper Horstead. They had combined for seven catches for 92 yards. Mm-hmm. Um, where's this been? Well, uh, it's been allocated to a couple of players who were either not capable or well, were not capable of performing for one reason or another. Um, with Adam Shaheen, I, I'm not sure that he's got. Um, he, I'm not sure he's got what it takes to succeed in the NFL as a as a package. He's a right. physical specimen. Um, I'm not sure whether it's. I don't know what's wrong with Adam Shaheen, but he's not an NFL level player. He has had lots and lots of chances, and he's never really produced. He's never had a huge three game burst stretch uh, coming out party. That's that's just not his thing. Um, Trey Burton has had production, but. 
has been struggling with injuries, um, maybe some other situations this year. And again, just never produced, wasn't a threat, consistently made a few catches, but never strung them together, and wasn't a consistent threat or even a safety blanket in the middle of the field for Mitch Trubisky when he desperately needed one when he was stinking it up in the beginning of the year. And about a month ago, uh, we started talking about this on the podcast. I started talking about it on Twitter that the lack of a true threat at tight end or or really just a capable playmaker, uh, forget threat, just somebody that could routinely turn you know average plays at the tight end position was really hurting this offense because every other successful iteration of the offense that Matt Nagy comes from, every other branch on that tree has a really good tight end playing. Right. Some of them kind of all tight, all all time tight ends, or really you know top of the league, top five guys, Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey. So I started saying I don't think people are giving enough credit to the fact that the Bears have zero at this position right now. Between Burton and Shaheen, they were getting nothing, and I don't think that there's a better way to illustrate that than bringing on an undrafted free agent uh, from an Ivy League school. And a guy you literally got off the street to be a fullback. And they're now your starting tight ends. And they come out and tear up the first drive against Dallas. J.P. Holtz looked like a machine. And if ever there was an indictment of how poor the the tight end play has been for the Bears this year, that's it. You got an undrafted free agent from the Ivy League and a guy you got off the street, and they're tearing it up. They're scoring touchdowns, leading the team in receiving in yards for, uh, you know, again, what we've termed as their best game of the year. I don't think that's a coincidence, right? Getting production from that spot is making the offense work. Absolutely. And I want to I want to move to another uh, target and I want to talk about Allen Robinson and what I think he is his statement game for making the Pro Bowl. And he didn't have huge statistics uh, necessarily. Maybe like I said, he didn't lead the team in yards on, on Thursday, but he did have those two touchdowns. Having those two big catches in primetime like that, I think, does really help with when the eyes are on you and you perform and he, he's put up some numbers, but I just, I want to share some things. So, so last year Robinson had played in 13 games and he had 55 catches for 750 yards, four touchdowns. So far this year, Robinson has played in 13 games. He has 76 catches for 898 yards and seven touchdowns. So his production per game has gone up quite a bit. Now, just some rough, just staring at it, math, looking at it, kind of projecting out. He's probably going to finish somewhere around 85 to 90 catches, uh, probably around 1,100 yards, and I would say eight or nine touchdowns. That is a really good year, and that is worthy of the Pro Bowl, and that is awesome that we have a true number one and a Pro Bowl wide receiver on this team. Yeah, Allen Robinson's an alpha. He looked like an alpha in camp when we saw him. He caught everything. He was the first option in every drill and looked to deserve that richly. It wasn't being handed to him. He was fully healthy back from the knee injury he'd had a year prior to joining the Bears. If you put what I tweeted out on Sunday is if you put Allen Robinson with even competent average NFL quarterbacking for this year, he's a hundred and something catches, 1300 yards and double digit touchdowns very easily. And that 
that he's assembled the statistics you mentioned with as poorly as Chicago's offense has performed for over half of the year is staggering. And what I said was, you know, Pro Bowl wide receiver, change my mind, you know, fight me, right? You give him anything decent throwing the ball to him for a full season, and Allen Robinson's going to show you he is a straight-up alpha and worthy of the number one title pretty easily uh, in Chicago. And, yeah, it's great to watch him play. Love his production. Love the way he attacks the football. And just the mentality that if that ball's up in the air, it's his. And he really believes it and makes it happen. And that's just a ton of fun to watch. Yeah, I think one of the reasons I like talking about Robinson so much is that I got a lot wrong this year about what the bears were going to do, but I was not wrong about Allen Robinson. He, we were on this from the, the get go that this was going to be a big year for him. And I think it's to the point where Ryan pace needs to seriously consider extending Allen Robinson this off season, uh, as soon as possible. I think his priority number one, it, he needs to be fixing things, but like in-house things needs to probably be Eddie Jackson, but I think you gotta you gotta make Allen Robinson a, a, a bear for the rest of his career at this point. I I think he likes being here. I really like watching him, but he's without him. I'm, I, this passing game would be absolutely lost. And so I'd love to see what he does with a full year of production from the quarterback, which hopefully we can get in 2020. So um, pretty interested to see what his future holds, but. Let me switch to the other side of the ball. Some bad news. Roquan Smith uh, tore his pec or or had a a pec injury. I guess I didn't see if it was torn or not. But uh, out the rest of the year, uh, you know, tough, tough loss for the Bears. He was starting to play extremely well. And we've we've highlighted him on this show a number of times. We really like him. Uh, The good news, I guess, is that for some reason, the Bears are way deeper at inside linebacker than we we certainly thought they were. Uh, Nick Kwiatkowski has come in and played for Danny Trevathan quite well. And then in comes Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who I want to call Kevin Pierre-Louis. Um, <laughs> he comes in and he has a nice game. He had a, like a handful of tackles, a couple of uh, passes defense. And he rushed the quarterback a couple times and just kind of shoved the I think it was it would have been Zeke Elliott like right back into into Dak a couple times and he looked pretty good on the rush. And where's this guy coming from? Like I, I don't remember much about him uh, coming into the season. And so uh, tough to lose a guy like Roquan again. We got three games left. Hopefully he's able to start his rehab and and recover from that and and come back at full strength. But uh, a chance to look at Kevin Pierre Lewis. Uh, what do you know about him? And what do you think about uh, his place so far? Yeah, Kevin Pierre-Lewis might be the best story of the Chicago-Dallas game. And that's saying something because we've talked about all these other headlines. We've talked about Mitch Trubisky um, showing out, really leading the team, uh, putting him on his back for the first time all year. The fact that they beat a decent team. The fact that David Montgomery's running hard and Allen Robinson had two scores. And the best story might be Kevin Pierre-Lewis comes in for an injured Roquan Smith, uh, Roquan Smith injured early, and plays 
uh, I would say well above replacement level. Uh, I scouted Kevin Pierre-Lewis coming out of college. Um, he's an undersized guy with speed. Didn't have a ton of pass rush. Uh, definitely became a special teamer. Got picked up by Seattle. Um, special teams was his calling card. Did not play much base defense and has not played much base defense in any of his stops. Uh, but comes out against Dallas and racks up a bunch of impact tackles, has some nice pass rushes, couple of pass defended, a full game from a guy that's always been an afterthought, always been a special teamer. It reminds me a little bit of Sherrick McManus's run at the end of last year playing in the base defense, and everybody kind of went, wait, this guy can play in the base defense. Like, he's okay. You know, he's he's producing. He's not just holding down the spot. And uh, you could have knocked me over with a feather because Kevin Pierre-Lewis has definitely taken all this time on NFL rosters and developed a much fuller game than he had coming out of college. And it was really cool to see him show out, you know, coming in cold off the bench for a guy that has been very productive and I wanted to talk about that. So Roquan Smith's season is over. Uh, as we mentioned, if you had to take a stab at his stats, uh, so he played 12 games this year, missed mm-hmm. one. Uh, how many tackles, how many tackles for loss, how many sacks, and how many interceptions do you think in 12 games for Roquan this year? 100 tackles. Um Tackle for loss, I'd say, is somewhere around the 8 to 10. And sacks, I think he had maybe three or four. And I think he had one one pick. Oh, you're an optimist. Uh, you're, you're better than most. I think most people would, would underestimate those a little bit, but you nailed it. It's 100 tackles, five tackles for loss, two sacks, and a pick in 12 games. Now, that's three quarters of a season. Sure. If you... Uh, stretch that out over full season and it's not hard to do because he was playing at a high level if he'd finished up and played the last four games um you know that guy's gonna end up with 100 and a quarter tackles he's gonna probably add at least two more tackles for loss so he's gonna be like 125 seven tfls probably picks up another sack or two somewhere between three and four sacks and maybe another pick uh maybe not again picks are kind of fickle but that's you know that's a very high level for the middle linebacker in Chicago to be playing at. That's a guy that's contributing on a very talented defense. It's not like he's making up because he's not surrounded by any other talent. I mean, he's got some very high-level players uh, in front of him and behind him. So Roquan Smith put in a really good season with a sort of um, middle third season stumble uh, in the third and fourth games of the year. But other than that, has played very solidly. And yeah, if you'd told me that you know Nick Kwiatkowski and Kevin Pierre-Lewis were going to be playing linebacker for the 2019 Chicago Bears, I would have been like, oh boy, <laughs> it's been a long season. Something bad happened. But both of those guys have played, I think, above replacement level. Quit continues to come in in Trevathan's spot, add quality run stops, and be in the right place at the right time and not get exposed by the pass, which was our big worry before the season. So I'm oddly optimistic about the inside linebacking depth on the bears yeah and it, that's a reflection of ryan pace building good depth it's a reflection of oh but we gotta fire uh, that guy <laughs> not us yeah. we like him here uh and it's a reflection of the coaching staff being able to coach those guys up right i mean a lot of times these guys kind of float around the league they're obviously talented they're professional football players and sometimes you just 
you need the right scheme fit or you need the right coaching or what have you. And so when you can find a guy that's maybe floated around a little bit and he responds to your system, that's good scouting and that's good coaching. And, and so by the way, you signed him for nothing. You know, <laughs> right, Kevin right. Pierre Lewis is here on a special teamer's salary. Let's be honest. He's not yep. making any money. And if he comes in and produces like that, he's actually going to be you know, uh, eligible for one of those bonuses for outplaying his contract, right? They're going to reward him for doing that because he's been playing decently on special teams. He's quite a good special teamer, but whoa, when he came in on the base defense and and just was flying all over the place and making plays, yeah, I was really surprised. So that's a tremendous value in terms of team building. Yeah, and I just I feel like compelled to just say this because you just keep mentioning special teams, but um, Cordero Patterson... I heart Cordero Patterson. I love that guy so much. I was bragging about Cordero Patterson to my buddy, who's a Cowboys fan. Every time we punt it, I'm like, "Watch! He's gonna be the first one down there. He's gonna be. He's gonna beat that. He's gonna beat that block. He's gonna be standing there, waiting for the punt for the punt returner to make a fair catch." And like to the point where my buddy was like, "Okay, dude, I get it." <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why you're so obsessed with a gunner, but. We we have we've talked about him a little bit. I talked I talked about it on Robert's show, but I really like Cordero Patterson. That signing has just been so fun for me because I like guys using the guy in the right way and and having them excel at something. And that guy is the other guy that I fully expect to be uh, on the on the Pro Bowl roster this year. So hopefully you Bears fans are out there voting those guys up. Uh, last point that I have, and we are going like predicted a little over on the first half of the show but uh, I think the defense played well enough they certainly had a pretty strong game after that first drive uh, they did have some issues getting off the field some of those drives were able to be extended on fourth downs that's a little frustrating uh, there was one point where there was a fourth down and the Bears rushed three and I hate rushing three I just can't see a scenario where that's a good idea and it drove me nuts it was like a fourth and I don't even know what it was, but don't rush three. Like, just Chuck, stop doing that. Just please don't ever do that again. Uh, but Kyle Fuller, I just wanted to highlight, he was this close to a pick six. And we're talking about an even more of a blowout of a game if if the defense starts taking taking him back to the house. Uh, just he's so close on some of these. Last year he was getting them. This year he's just been so close. And so – this that's how it rolls sometimes but um i thought the defense again played well enough but it wasn't a dominating performance so to speak yeah i gotta i gotta bring this up did you did you watch the sunday night game last night we're recording this on a monday night did you watch the sunday night game this week uh, I, 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 you know what? I got really discouraged really fast because Seattle just got destroyed. Yeah. And so I, I barely watched any of it. Okay. So you, you probably missed it, but, um, this one you're going to want to put in your back pocket and, and most bears fans probably are as well. Um, this off season when lions fans forget that they got massacred by the bears twice, um, and they start getting mouthy, just, just pull up this one name. Just, just, well, what a, what about Quandre Diggs? <laughs> um, so Quandre right. Diggs gets traded away for half a sandwich to the Seahawks, a fifth round pick. Um, instantly elevates that defense, uh, with the exception of last night, back to almost 
pre-Legion of Boom levels. Like, he's been that good. He's been a huge difference maker. He really is that guy that can cover a bunch of ground as the single high like Earl Thomas did in his heyday. Is Quandre Diggs Earl Thomas? No, I'm not saying that. But he picked off a ball last night, um, third quarter, I think. And I have never seen a guy going the other way as quickly as Diggs. He broke on the ball, caught it in stride as if it was thrown to him, and was full sprint the whole time. Like, he was instantly gone. There was nobody that was going to get him, and it wasn't even close. He just knew where that ball was, went after it like it was his, caught it in full sprint, and didn't stop at all, and went the other way. So when Lions fans get mouthy in the offseason, just bring up Quandre Diggs, that the, the Lions traded away for peanuts for some unknown reason, even though he was a leader of their defense, and all their defenders grumbled about it, and he instantly elevated Seattle's defense to a different level. Um, just remind them that their management thought that that was a great idea. So so Kyle Fuller, we talked about this uh, at the beginning of the year with the whole secondary. We were really talking about Eddie Jackson and Kyle Fuller and saying, hey, with all the increased pressure, they're probably going to see a bunch more wounded ducks. Uh, they got a bunch of turnovers last year, but we held our tongues a little bit and said, look, turnovers are a fickle thing. They don't. Uh, we got a bunch in 2018, probably not going to get quite that many in 2019 because the ball just doesn't bounce the same way. And boy, hasn't that been true, especially for Kyle Fuller especially over the last tw- a couple of weeks. He's had a couple that were just really close. Um, uh, you know, and if you turn it into a pick six, which Eddie Jackson was doing last year, it is a huge swing in the game. But Fuller is just not quite turning those over. And I, you hope that the worm turns for the rest of the year and he, he turns those almost into actuals. Um, be great for him, be great for the Bears, but it just kind of hasn't bounced the bears way this year with turnovers no and i think that's something to watch if akeem hicks comes back here this week which uh, indications are that he's going to uh to see what that does uh for this defense so if if hicks comes back and he's able to um Add to the pass rush, which I think we've seen teams be able to scheme Khalil Mack out of the pass rush much more effectively since Hicks isn't there to take advantage of it. Uh, And I think they've been able to run the ball better, although the Bears seemingly have fixed that to a pretty good extent here lately. Um, Once Hicks gets back, I want to see if this front seven gets back to that early dominance or at least 2018 dominance that they were showing last year. Uh, And that usually forces worse throws for the secondary to prey on. And so well, let's see if we can capture any of that. Now, the, <laughs> we're going to take a break here, and we're going to talk about a guy that doesn't throw many bad passes. Um, but uh, that is something that I think we're going to we're gonna want to look for here in the second half. So let's uh, stick with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll talk about the Packers on the other side. All right, EJ, we're back. So it's Packers week. Um, so that, you know, stress that you're feeling is because the Bears played uh, our version of the evil empire this week. Um, Green Bay, they come into this 10 and 3. We talked about this a little bit before the podcast. You kind of brought up the old Bill Parcells. At some point, you are what your record says you are. Um, I personally think that the Packers were gifted a couple of wins by their best friends that wear uh, white and black stripes and have whistles. And I think this team really is more of a eight and five team 
seven and six team maybe, but eight and five team masquerading as a ten and three team. Uh, you look a lot of their rankings; they are kind of middling in a lot of ways. But they've got a couple of players that are playing extremely well, um, and so we want to get into that. But big picture stuff against the Packers before we get into our keys. Yeah, I hate to say it. I, I haven't been paying a lot of attention to the Packers this year because they're the Packers and the Bears have had enough problems on their own. I haven't had to focus on the Packers to to get any angst out, but they are an extremely quiet 10 and 3 and that's the rarest thing in the world for the Packers. They're usually an extremely loud you know, 9 and 7 or, or whatever they are. Um, new head coach largely revamped defense and they've reeled off 10 wins already in the first 13 games yes did they get a couple of gift wrapped ones handed to them i think they did and but even still they would be a a pretty quiet eight win team with a you know a future hall of fame quarterback leading them haven't heard as much about the packers they just don't seem as loud but this week the volume is going to turn up bears packers is always the week and um, again, it gives me a little bit of hope to think that they're somewhat of a paper tiger, but there's the other part of me that says, look, they've reeled off 10 wins, help or not. And, uh, we're going to talk about Rogers in a second, but let's, let's start with a different position. You've got somebody else listed first. Well, I, I think that the bears have to stop Aaron Jones and I know it seems a little bit odd to talk about the running back when you're playing Aaron Rodgers. But when Jones is healthy and when when they're playing him, you know, uh, frequently, I, he scares me. And he racked up 134 yards last week. Um, if, if they're able to just run the ball, it seems like they're willing to do that. They haven't been necessarily willing to do that in the past, I don't think. But he's really good. I hate to admit that. Uh, he, he's a really good back. And he, he kind of scares me from the perspective of there have been a few teams that take advantage of the run. So I, I want to I start by stopping Aaron Jones. Yeah, stopping the run against any team is uh, the key. People think stopping the pass is is what the NFL has pivoted to. I, I largely don't believe that because if a team can run against you, they will. Uh, Aaron Jones, I'm not at all uh, ashamed to say that he's very talented. He was my top sleeper. He led my sleeper team on offense the year he came out. I was a huge Aaron Jones advocate and Aaron Jones fan. I was a little bit bummed that he ended up with the Packers, but it doesn't make him any less player or person. Um, interacted with him several times on Twitter. He's a really nice guy. And he's a very talented runner that has been underrated for his entire career and continues to be underrated, even though he's putting up big numbers in a, in a famous NFL town. So stopping Aaron Jones is a thing. Two things help there. The Bears defense seems to have stopped uh, its leakage against the run, even against very solid backs like Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. They, you know, save the first drive or drive and a half. They have locked that up and really forced teams to go to plan B to get away from that. Hey, we're just going to run it at you till they stop it. The Bears stop it pretty quickly. Plus, Akeem Hicks is supposed to return this week. He's very good against the run. Even if he's playing with one arm, I've got a lot of faith in the dream to help buoy that run defense, maybe even shut it down more quickly. Jones is a talented back, but the Bears are very talented against the run on defense. That 
Both of those things give me a lot of hope that they can stop Aaron Jones. But then we get to plan 1B, and that's got me pretty worried this week. Yeah, so I, my note was we need to have we need to see out of, out of the Bears disciplined rushes to keep Rodgers in the pocket. And I'm not saying he can't pass from the pocket because obviously he can, but he is so dangerous when he flushes the pocket and he, he is able to ad-lib. And it's just I've had my heart torn out so many times watching that happen that I want to see the Bears rush as a unit and be able to try to contain him and make him throw from in there. So Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. I know that as Bears fans, we'd love to think otherwise, but he really is. He's an amazingly efficient quarterback. This year, he has put up 23 touchdowns to only two interceptions. He just does not put the ball in harm's way very frequently. It's probably not going to happen. You cannot count on that as part of the game plan to uh, intercept Aaron Rodgers. Maybe you'll get one, but for the most part, it's probably not going to happen. The more uh, likely scenario is to try to get a strip sack. I think Khalil Mack getting a strip sack on Aaron Rodgers is much more likely than, say, Eddie Jackson getting an interception, uh, you know, and anything more than just kind of a, a Hail Mary at the end of the half or something, right? So you had to say is, Hail uh, Mary and Aaron Rodgers, didn't you? <laughs> well, he's particularly good at he it. He really but, is. You know, um, and so I, I, I just the the thing that really frustrates me is the, the broken rushes where he's able to improvise. And so I, there is some, you know, I think when you say disciplined rushes, it's it's not freelancing. It's really understanding that you, we, more than anything, you want to keep him contained in that pocket and try to collapse it on him rather than allowing him escape routes. And so hopefully the Bears are able to do that. They're going to get held. We know Bakhtiari is going to hold Mac. We, we know that's going to happen. It's not going to get called. This game's in Lambeau. So, like, let's just get over that right now. But I, I want to see disciplined rushes out of that front four uh, or any sort of blitzing linebackers to make sure that we keep him contained. Yeah, rush is a key for this one, and I'm going to bring up an interesting name that gives me a little bit of hope. I'm not terribly hopeful about this aspect of the game, but um, again, I'm going to go back to that Sunday night game, and I'm going to bring up Dante Fowler. Now, a lot of folks will remember Dante Fowler as a top pick. Well, went down to Jacksonville, did not have a great uh, start to his career there, a few flashes. Ends up getting traded to the Rams, where he plays next to one Aaron Donald. And Aaron Donald is one of the best defenders in the NFL. And as a result, most teams that play him double him. And sometimes even triple him. And that sounds familiar to Bears fans because that's what's happening to Khalil Mack. He plays a different position, but that's exactly the same thing. Right now, he's the only threat, major threat on defense. So they're going to stop Khalil Mack, make sure that he doesn't wreck your game plan. Most teams try and do the same things when they're playing the Rams on Aaron Donald. And the result is a guy like Dante Fowler ends up getting one-on-ones. And Fowler was taking advantage of that early in a game last night against the Seahawks um, to great effect. He was disrupting the game plan for the Seahawks because Aaron Donald was sucking up his traditional double slash triple team. And Fowler was making hay. 
And with the return of Akeem Hicks, if he can start to draw some doubles, it's going to draw some heat off the other linemen. And maybe we see a return to prominence from a guy like Roy Robertson Harris. I know he got dinged up. Or maybe Bilal Nichols has his breakout game. Um, Maybe Khalil Mack does get in there and get that strip sack. Those are really my only hopes right now because Rodgers is playing very, very well. I think through the early third of the season, Bears game notwithstanding, He didn't play great. He played okay. Even when Aaron Rodgers doesn't play well, he still plays okay. Um, But of late, last three or four weeks, Aaron Donald is back to threading the needle and just killing it. And as a Bears fan... Aaron Rodgers, not Aaron Donald. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, my bad. I mean, Aaron Donald's playing well. He's playing well too, but he's not throwing the ball. I've seen him throw the ball, and he's actually crazy good at it, which is just really really upsetting for a guy of his size. But um, no, Rodgers is playing extremely well right now. He's back to tearing the hearts out of opponents, and as Bears fans, we are extremely familiar with that. And I just have a bad feeling about this um i like the return of akeem hicks i like the balance on the defensive line i think mac will have a more effective game the only way i think to get rogers out of the game is to a mental game not not knock him out of the game is to beat him up a little bit and that's so hard to do with the way they're calling quarterback contact you know you're better off going for the strip sack because hitting him you're just going to get a penalty in that's going to keep the drive going and if anything that fuels him um, in the olden days, only three or four years ago, when you could hit Rodgers and knock him around a little bit, he tended to get frustrated and not make as many positive plays. Um, right now, that's a very difficult thing to do with the way the rules are. With Rodgers playing as well as he is, I just have the sinking feeling that uh, you know Bears fans are a little bit buoyed. Uh, yesterday didn't go as well as as we all hoped in terms of the way things needed to break for them to maybe look better towards a possible playoff berth. Um, that's not looking great. I think it's four point four percent chance they make the playoffs right now, so extremely low. But Rodgers comes in hot. It's in Lambeau. We know he's going to get calls. I just feel like even if it's close i don't want to see the ball in his hands i think if it is i think the packers win the game and that's uh, no matter what you do against rogers like you said one of the most talented quarterbacks ever and you just can't write him off yeah we'll get to predictions in a moment but i got one more key that i want to talk about and really it's just i don't know how else to describe it but keep that offensive momentum going like i keep having Trubisky make quick decisions, authoritative throws and keep making him, I don't know, make him, but like keep putting him in a position where he can use his legs. Now we've been saying this all year. It's not like we saw it in the last couple of games and we're like, Oh wow, that's pretty interesting. Maybe that works. Yeah. Keep going. No, we've been calling for this since week one, but it, it absolutely has to be the way this offense runs. He has to be able to show that threat to be able to pick up first downs with its legs or or bigger plays like that touchdown run with his legs. And that changes the way the defenses play and it allows him to be more effective on those intermediate throws that we've seen him deliver with authority in the last couple of games. And so um, keep this offensive momentum going and see where it takes you because uh, that first game in week one was 10 to three and he 
moderately decent offensive effort by uh, the offense would have easily won that game. You know, holding Aaron Rodgers' offense to 10 points is quite a feat. And so if the Bears' defense is any able to do anything close to that this time, uh, you know, the offense has to come through and be able to pick up a victory here. Yeah, I something we haven't talked about and we really need to out of the Dallas game, it's been – um, extremely quiet. I've I've been watching Twitter for a sort of outpouring of love for it, and and I haven't seen anybody even talk about it. And we've been harping on the opposite, so it's time to to serve up the sort of just desserts and say Matt Nagy called a really good game against Dallas. Absolutely. As much as Trubisky was dealing, Matt Nagy was absolutely dealing. He kept the Cowboys off balance. He sprinkled in plays. He wasn't cute. Most of the stuff he called worked, and he kept that, you know, use the word momentum. He kept that momentum going. He sprinkled in run and pass. He didn't get away from the run at any given time. He didn't put players in poor situations. We didn't see Cordero Patterson trying to run the ball up the middle. We didn't see an overemphasis of trying to force it into Tariq Cohen. Uh, you know, he was masterful at spreading the ball around, changing the type, keeping the Cowboys off balance. He just called a great, great game. And there's no coincidence that Trubisky had his best game of the year because of it. And again, it's always going to be that tandem between play caller and executor, head coach and quarterback. But both of those guys, Nagy and Trubisky, worked together. Neither one of them's given up, and they ended up with a tremendous effort against a pretty good defensive team, at least a medium-solid defensive team. If they have any chance against the Packers and they really want to put pressure on them, you got to do that, and you got to come up with a game plan that gives some balance to the offense, doesn't get away from the run, and chews up a little time because the bottom line is – Time for Aaron Rodgers is just one of those things. If you hand him enough of it, he's going to catch you out eventually. If you can chew up some before you hand him the ball back and say, hey, you know, we added some points and we took away some time, you've got a chance with as good as Chicago, as well as Chicago's defense has been playing. So if you can combine those things and Nagy can keep on that rhythm and not get stuck. Uh, the way he did earlier in the year, the Bears have a fighting chance. If either he or Trubisky falls off those rails, uh, I don't think Aaron Rodgers lets him off the hook at home. I just don't think that's very likely. Why don't you just make your prediction? Uh, I think the Packers win it. It, it, oh, it just kills me as a Bears fan to say it, but I just have that real bad itch nothing would nothing would make me happier than to see Nagy and Trubisky roll into Lambeau Field and roll the Packers off the field and just march out triumphantly that would I would be so thrilled to be wrong but I I think the Packers win this in a close game uh maybe 24 to 17 okay so I think the line's five points. So I think uh, the Packers are favored by five. Uh, at least that was the early line that Sam sent out. So I I think that the Bears are closer than that. And I, I know that I was very negative about the Packers coming into the year. I just thought it would take a lot of time for them to figure things out. And I really do think that they got handed a couple of victories early. I think the Bears have been playing very well lately. I don't know that you can 
just say, well, now the Bears offense knows what it's doing and it's going to keep doing that the rest of the year. Everything's great. Uh, I think that's that's something that would be foolish to do because we have a lot of film on tape of uh, a lot of film that says otherwise. Right. But I felt really strongly last week that the bears were going to be able to take care of business against Dallas. I just did was not impressed with them as a team. I don't think that the Packers seem like a 10 and three team. I, I really do think they feel more like an eight and five team. And so I do think this is more of an even matchup than the records indicate. I think it's really tough to go into Lambeau. I think it's really tough given where the bears are at because you could see them potentially folding easily, but I'm really impressed with what Matt Nagy has done in terms of building this culture and people that are, uh, you know, Ryan Pace's guys, the guys that are willing to fight. And so I don't know. I'm silly. I'm going to say what our den master says. I was not put on this earth to pick against the bears, <laughs> but I certainly was not put on this earth to pick against the bears on Packers week. Yeah. And so I think the Bears pull out a very impressive victory, close victory, but I think that they pull it out. I hope they do, and if they do, I think it's going to be the things that we've touched on but not said are primary. You know, Matt Nagy's going to have to call a great game. Trubisky's going to have to continue the offensive momentum, pick up some tough first downs with his legs, and be gutty on some throws, take some chances and have them work out. But if if the Bears are going to pull this off, it's going to be Kyle Fuller finally cementing that pick six or Cordero Patterson breaking one more for a return on special teams or you know, going down as the gunner and knocking the ball loose because he's a huge dude that's really fast and I could see him blasting somebody and them coughing it up at the 15-yard line and the Bears take over. That kind of thing is going to be the thing. You know, blocked field goal, something out of left field that really just tilts the balance and i will be you know jumping up and down and hooting and hollering if the bears are able to do that i would love to see it it would make my week uh really my season in a lot of ways to see the bears all but defeated in the first half of the year march into lambo late in the year in december and just steal one from the packers that would be fantastic i just don't i think it's a bridge too far so i i hate doing it but i think the packers win all right, man. Well, uh, you will have hell to pay if you are wrong on the Twitter machine. You know, well, the, the Twitter, the Twitter machine will eat me up, but, but inside I will be so warm and fuzzy but, that the Bears beat the Packers. Well, sure, sure. Uh, you know, it's like you're either with us or you're against this kind of thing. Anyway, um, my beer, because we're going we're gonna to do beers and get out of here because we're a little over um, our normal time that we shoot for. But it's good. It's not anything that it, there's nothing that stands out as like whoa this is different it's just a really solid stout um i have a couple of variants on this at, that uh, i picked up as well uh, and so i'll report back on how those went uh, also but this is a pretty solid stout and um yeah, I'm, at, I'm towards the end of it, and I'm kind of feeling it. So I would drink it again. <laughs> Didn't live up to the cover art because the cover art sounded great. Uh, so, well, I don't know how many people actually listen all the way to the end where we're talking about the beers after we stop talking about the bears. I have no idea. Thank you for those of you that do. Um, but I will reveal that I am not a Star Wars fan. 
Oh, so speaking of the Twitter machine know, really, taking it out on yeah. you, you better go easy there. I know. <laughs> and so that part of it doesn't really mean much to me, but I know that you are. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so I, 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 part of why I brought it on was because I know that you would appreciate the cover. Yeah, no, I was a, I was a Star Wars kid. Uh, Star Wars was um, the first uh, grown-up movie I ever got to go out with my dad, just me and my dad solo, on a school night to go see because he had seen it and he was like, hey, this is something special. Um, it was uh, just about a month and a half after it came out, and uh, I remember going out on it was either a Tuesday or Wednesday night, and and seeing Star Wars, and yes, my world changed. Um, not not wild about where the Star Wars universe has gone of late. Not really looking forward to the the huge theatrical release coming up here in December of the the final installment of the you know nine chapter saga. But for those Star Wars fans that have been out there suffering. Um, if you have Disney Plus, check out The Mandalorian because John Favreau is doing a fantastic job with that, and it's probably the best Star Wars property going right now. And that's that's uh, that's big boots to fill, um, but they're doing a great job with The Mandalorian. On to Jubilee. Uh, I've had it before. Uh, the malt comes through. You don't taste a lot of the toffee or cocoa notes. It does say dusted, and I think that's probably appropriate. It's just a good malty solid winter beer a little bit of spice a little bit of cocoa a little bit of toffee just to give it some character um again it says 65 ibus i don't really buy that in mouthfeel i would put it down closer to 50 it doesn't have a lot of bite to it um it's pretty well balanced not uh again overly uh heavy on the alcohol at 6.7 percent but heavy on the sugar and yeah they will add up on you but it's a very drinkable beer it's a great winter warmer uh, I love it. It's uh, one in the rotation uh, of several good winter beers from Northwest Breweries. But, yeah, good stuff. In the meantime, it is Packers week. It's been a while since we've had a Bears game because it was a Thursday game. And a uh, long stretch through Sunday with no Bears play. And uh, we've got almost another full week until the Bears play the Packers in Lambeau. So, until then, grab your favorite winter beer. Check us out on Twitter. Jeff is at Gridironborn. I am at the Draftsman FB. The podcast is at Bears Over Beers. Um, send us your choice for winter beers. We love seeing those. Um, and any art you might have. We got some interesting art submissions uh, sent to our Twitter accounts uh, just tonight, and they're fantastic. So check those out. We'll try and post them on the Bears Over Beers account. Uh, until then. Um, Gird up, it's Packers week and bear down.